Hello? Oh? Hello? Hello? Gail? I can hear you. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. We're, we're on. We're recording right now. Awesome. We have succeeded. Thank goodness. I'm so happy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, going to be going to a show later even though the pandemic's supposed to have shut down all comedy i am not i'm actually going to a comedy show later to hopefully do some comedy we shall see what happens we'll see what um if it works out i'm working on podcasting as you know mm -hmm. attempting to make it work so far i've monetized my podcast to 50 cents 56 oh. cents i've earned Awesome. So someday, who knows, maybe it'll be a whole dollar or a million dollars. I'm sure it's going to be great. I'm sure about that. Everything starts small and it builds. Yeah, I keep trying. I keep starting and stopping and starting and stopping with a podcast. One of the problems before is I had someone else that was wonderful doing my podcast for me. I would send them the audio files and then they would put it up on all the platforms. Mm -hmm. It didn't really go anywhere. So right now I'm, I'm listening to people who, how to promote your podcast. And I am uh, also looking at it myself to see, I now have it in my own app in this anchor app. So I can see what, if, if, if anything I am doing, helps to get it out to a larger audience. So we shall see. We shall see what happens. I'm going to try to get some, uh, see if I get some people that are more famous, if that helps. I don't know. Right now I'm just interviewing pretty much anyone, and I figure everyone has a story. Everyone's interesting. Once I was talking to a bouncer at a club I was at, I was doing some comedy at and he said that he was the former uh, California state boxing champion. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. So I started talking to him about boxing and stuff like that. And, you know, everyone's interesting. And you're you're a model. I am. I do fitness modeling. I do. And what else do you do? Do you do any hosting or entertaining? Yeah, I am a television host of Philly Vision and Ferry Vision, which are one is in Philadelphia and one is on the New Jersey Shore. Uh, and I'm also always putting together like social media or uh, YouTube videos. I'm very much into comedy, as you know, so I'm always looking for new opportunities. 
do you do comedy or do you just watch? Are you just an observer? Um, I put my comedy into my scripts. So if I do uh-huh. something in the video, it has that comedy element. I have done some stand-up. I'm looking forward to getting back into stand-up because I think it's a great way to polish off the, your, your work and your craft. But um, I, I right now I'm utilizing my comedy for my videos. Well, that's good. So this uh, thing that you're doing, is this broadcast or is this all uh, on the Internet? It's on, on the Internet, so it be classified as new media. So, so I have media, done right. everything from the Great American Eat Off to uh, just side skits that I can create, write, produce myself. So I'm always looking for something new and different that I can put out there, something that usually involves my life. Well, you know, there's a uh, pretty soon, I guess, tell there'll be no such thing as uh, television and it'll all just be the Internet. But there'll be an infinite number of channels you can watch. I guess there already are. But the Internet is taking away uh, so much of the audience of uh, television, of regular television. Now, I think we're going to become very fractured so that what's happening is that instead of a bunch of people looking at what's on television. A lot of those people are being taken away to niche media, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like something that they want to watch. So pretty soon, no one will be watching anything that really has uh, anything that anyone else is watching. I think everyone's going to have basically their own every 10,000 people or 20,000 or 30,000 will have their own kind of niche or area of the media they're interested in. So, you know, it's going to be become very, very different. Everything's changing. So I'm hopefully I'm trying to get my foot in the door there. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And I think that today we all have to have that entrepreneurial spirit and thinking Meaning, create your own product, get it out there, do what you love. If you need to support that through other income, other jobs, do it. But always be developing you in the way that you want to go. And in today's world, we are afforded that opportunity. So I think it's it's amazing. Yeah, you know, there's so many things I want to do every day. I'm thinking of I need to get more stuff out there on this platform or that platform and attempt to uh, like last night I did a comedy performance and I didn't tape it. I thought, you know, cause I went up, I thought, Oh, this is going to be miserable. I'm, uh, and that's how I feel. Every time I go up, I feel like, Oh, it's going to be terrible. I'm going to Bob. And then of course I do well, but most of the time I do 98% of the time I do. So I need to make sure that I'm taping it no matter what, no matter how negative I'm feeling before I go up, because usually I just am before I go up, but I've been doing it for so long. Usually can make the people in the room laugh only, only if there's only a few there. I always joke that I try if of the eight people in the room that were there, 12 of them were laughing. So that's, that's always good. Yeah. yeah. And, and let me, let me ask, ask you a question. question. You know, you're, you're in, in comedy, comedy you, you do stand up, up. 
that's, that's one, one of the, the toughest, toughest things to do. do. You're, you're standing up there, there you're talking by yourself, you're not, not engaged in a conversation with anyone, and, and you have to keep, keep them laughing. laughing. Uh, where, where did you, did you develop, develop that, that skill? skill? I did it just from going up and going up, going up every night, just for years and years. And, you know, I'm still learning every day. I always feel like I need another, you know, 30 years of doing stand-up to be good. The You just keep going up every night, you know, as many times as you can, mm-hmm. twice a night, once a night. Just keep doing it. At first in L.A., it's very combative. It still is. Because you have to wait so long to go up when you start. Well, a lot of, some people do. Other people are very attractive and very socially, have a large social acumen. And they can just, they don't really need to suffer through the open mics. They just end up being put up. A lot of people, unfortunately, are put up for their looks. They look a certain way and they're, they're put up. Uh, immediately they dress nice and they're put up uh, immediately. They do a imitation of what they see on comedy central or something like that. And then other people have to struggle. And, uh, but you know, I've been at it for a long time and uh, no one's putting me up for my looks or my, that I dress the right way or package myself the right way. I just, you know, go up and do what I do. I'm a performance artist originally. And I originally, I used to do performance art and make objects, art objects. And I showed in museums and galleries. And then I did performance art pieces. And then I decided that, well, I noticed basically there was no place to do performance art anymore for uh, artists. So I decided, well, let's go into comedy. Mm-hmm. And do it there. So I'm unlike uh, Andy Kaufman, who is a performance artist, I'm attempting to take on as much of the uh, stage craft of the comedian as, as I possibly can. The, the thing that I like about comedy is that it's just you and a microphone and an audience. Right. And it is a conversation in a sense that the audience laughs right right and you listen to them and you then you kind of reply you say something and then the audience but the audience really is only supposed to do one thing laugh mm-hmm. or groan or you know you could tell a joke and they go oh you know they could groan they could sigh they say something But what they're saying, they're not supposed to say anything audible. They're supposed to make noises, so to speak. Usually laughter, hopefully laughter. Mm -hmm. And then you reply to them, and then they reply to you by laughing. And then you reply to them, and you kind of... So it is kind of a conversation, but the audience kind of has one word. And your reply depends a lot on the length, loudness... And uh, penetration of your uh, laugh. You know, you could have everyone laugh and three people leave because they're offended. Right. Right. You know, and and that's okay. In fact, there's even a comedian named Ari Schaffer who has a rule 
because of the three people walkout rule. He says, if three people don't walk out, you're not edgy enough. <laughs> I love that. And some people, some people agree. Some people don't. Some people do comedy that's supposed to be more, I don't know, friendly, more cuddly, more love me, love me. My comedy isn't really that way. I'm very, I, there's a, I like edgy, antagonistic kind of stuff. You know, I like Louis C.K. I like Andy Kaufman. I like uh, Bill Burr. I like Red Fox, um, Rudy Ray Moore, people that had a real edge. Mm -hmm. So all I have to say to anyone, all I say to anyone is there's no problem in stand-up that can't be solved by going up again. You know? That's, cool. took, That's a very, very cool, cool saying. saying. I took, you know, you look at George Carlin. George Carlin did get on the television uh, about eight years after he started to perform and he would do television spots starting around 19... 63 64 and then he went on to continue but he didn't really make it big till i believe it was 1971 or maybe it was three or four i'm not sure it was within that three-year period that he did the piece the seven words you cannot say on television and, and what, what are, are they, they? Then, oh shit cunt motherfucker piss fuck and something else but he had them in a little basically into a little poem so if you go on the internet go on the internet after you're done and listen to the seven words you can't say on television and that made him incredibly popular <laughs> that made him a household name Wow. Every comic is looking for the one routine that defines them, that makes them famous. I think with Steve Martin, it was probably Excuse Me. Yeah. Excuse Me. And Let's Get Small. And, you know, he actually had a few. And then he had the, the hit song King Tut. Yeah. yeah. And I don't remember all that stuff where you were around then. But you know, he had that. Every comic's looking for that. Steve Gaffigan has Hot Pockets. I don't know if you've ever heard that no. from Steve Gaffigan. Well, that's his most famous routine. He's a very famous comic, and he travels the world doing comedy. And his most famous routine is Hot Pockets, but he has to do Hot Pockets every time that he performs. So it's almost a curse. You know, it's like if you have one hit song and you're a singer, you'll be performing that one song as long as you're performing, you know, that'll be your, your encore. And that's what he has to do. He does whatever material he's working on. And then he does an encore, which is always this routine called hot pockets, which is about the junk food hot pockets. And he does, he's a wonderful comic that does, a lot of comedy about very mundane things, mundane everyday things like Hot Pockets. And uh, 
So, but he stuck doing that. If people pay to see him and he doesn't do hot pockets, they feel ripped off. <laughs> so he absolutely has to do hot pockets. And so unless he comes up with another hit routine, he's never going to be able to do, you know, he'll never get away from that routine. Hot pockets. Wow. But you know, there are worse things in the world. You know, be happy you wrote something people like, you know? That's, That's absolutely, absolutely true. true. Be eternally grateful. So, so are, 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 are you, you um, from, from Los, Los Angeles? Angeles? Where, where, where were you born? born? I was born in Glendale, California, yeah. not far from where I am now. And so I'm an L.A. native. I grew up here and I grew up in a place called Roland Heights and Hacienda Heights which occasionally I drive back and I try to find my houses that I lived in when I was younger. And I drive by my high school. I don't know why I do it, but I do it periodically once a year or once or twice a year. And I tried to find my house that I lived in last time I went when I was, some of them I couldn't find. I drove back into the neighborhoods and could not find the houses and uh, there's one house I remember that I that I can never find. And now everyone's dead, so I'll never know where it is. Maybe my brother knows, what, what, but I barely speak to did him. You, did your, um, um, how did, how did your, your family, family influence, influence your career? career? <laughs> well, they influenced me not to do it most of my life. I really wanted to start doing stand-up when I was in high school. Because I love Steve Martin. I used to memorize his entire albums and I would perform them for people during recess at my junior high school. And but my parents basically convinced me that I couldn't do anything, that I was a piece of garbage, that I couldn't do anything like that. And also they convinced me. It, also, you know, you grew up in L.A., Everyone in L.A. is a wannabe rock singer, writer, actor, comedian, movie star. They're a wannabe something. You know what I mean? Filmmaker. Yeah, definitely. Uh, everyone's a wannabe something. Every person you meet, you're the security guard at your you know, college is, or high school is writing a screenplay. The... Another person you know is, you know, trying to be a musician. Everyone's a wannabe. And that's one of the reasons I didn't didn't want to do it, too, was that everyone's a wannabe. And I was like, man, I don't want to be a wannabe. So that would be a good name for comedy. I might not want to be a wannabe. <laughs> the reality is, but, Mark, that, that once, once you start, start to do something and develop the craft... craft that, that is, is what you, you do. do. Doesn't, doesn't matter, matter what level is. Even yeah. as an actor, like if you're, you're taking classes, classes maybe you get, get in a play, play, or maybe you create a video, or you do something on YouTube, or whatever. You, you are, are now an actor. actor. You're, you're comedian. You're performing. Uh -huh. You're a singer. You're singing. It's the different levels of it. People want to be a star. That's what makes it different. Yeah, you know the the. People, uh, well, I became an artist is what I became. I became a visual artist. I did 
uh, artworks, as I said, performance art. I have arted museums all across the country. And uh, I could never make a living doing that, but I got some recognition, but not enough financial to support to continue. I would love to continue to make art objects, but I'm unable to do so uh, because, you know, just time, time. I have to get up every morning and work at my business in order to uh, make things work and so, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I would love to continue to make objects, but instead I do, do, I put words together and I put them out on Twitter and Facebook and perform them live. I call it making sound sculptures. <laughs> And I stand in front of an audience and I make sound sculptures. So, you know, I don't know. What makes you want to do what you want to do? I don't, I don't know. know. I, I think, think I was, I was born, born after. after. And, and I'm, I may I not, not be street, street smart, smart, but, but I, I am book, book smart. smart. So, so um, I've, I've written, written as a as motivational, motivational speaker, speaker a, a, a lot, lot of speeches. I have, have audio books that, that are on um, Apple, Apple books right, right now. I have, I have a selfie fitness, fitness video that's on Amazon. Amazon. Um, I'm continuously creating. I'm working, I'm working on a script, script now. now. Um, a, TV a TV show. show. Like, there, there are so, so many different, different parts, parts of, of me, me that, that just, just come, come through through, through, through you know, you know creativity, creativity in the entertainment world. world. And, and I refuse to not utilize them on any, any level, level, even, even if, if I have to do the work myself, myself to get something, get something started. started. Well, what, where can people find these these things? Just look for Gail yeah, Casper. GailCasper.com and, and that's Amazon. Amazon with a K. So it's, so it's G-A-I-L-K-A-S-P-E-R.com. And I have all, all kinds, kinds of links, links on that, that, that website, website for people, people to find. find. Yeah, the the different, uh, I don't know, for you, I, I think you could host as well. I think you would be good hosting. I host, I'm a comedian and I host... Being a comedy host is a different thing because one of the things you have to do is you have to be able to throw people off the stage that aren't doing well. And you have to be able to, if a comic doesn't do well, you have to be a good enough comic to get the audience going again, laughing again, before you bring up the next uh, comic. And it's not a requirement, but, you know, it's good. There are hosts that do that. There's a host that I work with now, or used to work with, and she would bomb constantly and uh, never stopped her. She would just continue that's to awesome. bomb, never phased her. So, and that's fine. You know, some people are like, oh man. In fact, I've seen people do it. I've seen people bomb for years and years, and then suddenly they get <laughs> funny. And that's that's good. You know, some people just cannot stop doing it. Anytime anyone asks me, should I quit comedy? I always tell them, yes, if you can 
stop. You're not a comic. So right. go away. You know, a comic absolutely has to do comedy or right. die trying. You absolutely have to do it. For me, I'm an artist. So I've already made that decision. I already made that life. So I already knew that was me. So, you know, I absolutely have to do art or die trying. That's just the way that it is. And uh, hope, hopefully I've had, an, I've had enough of a side hustle to kind of float me, but not make me rich, but to get me by. And occasionally in the last couple of years, I've made tiny amounts of money doing comedy. And I'm still working on, you know, if I could find other other formats, other things to do, that would be nice. Other ways to bring in money that are kind of around or, uh, I don't know, kind of adjacent mm-hmm. to comedy. Like podcasting. I like doing that. I enjoy doing that. I'm a conversationalist. I like hearing people's stories. So where did you grow up? Yeah. Born, Born and raised, raised in, in Philly. Philly. Yeah, so what's that um, like? Middle, middle class, class family. You know, you my, know, my parents, parents were pretty strict. strict. Uh, uh, there were certain, certain people we could associate with, with certain, certain people, people we couldn't. couldn't. And it, and it didn't, didn't mean that, that you, know, you know, it was about being rich because we didn't, we didn't have, have a lot of money. money. But, but my father always wanted us to be on the right track. You know, to make sure that our decisions were strong decisions, that we were living by values and character. And he just wanted the best for us. So middle class and... You know, you my, know my, my mom, mom was at home, home. My, my father, father worked. Uh-huh. Well, that's good. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's you, you do kind of have to steer your kids in the right direction. But, you know, often if you tell your kids, well, you can't be around that, those people, then, then those would be the people that they'll want to go hang out with. So... That's always a problem, but you know, uh, you need to have some guidance. You need to try to guide your kids. I remember when I had a, uh, a record store on Hollywood Boulevard, there was this one girl that would come in sometimes and she was a runaway and she was 17 years old and her mom eventually, uh, found out that she would come to my store sometimes and came to my store and said, you know, where is she? I said, I don't know where she is. You know, she was Mm -hmm. trying to find her. And uh, I said, I don't know. I haven't seen her in a while. But but the problem was that I told her, her mother, that uh, her mother had basically chased her away by being too strict. Her mother had chased her away that she was supposed to be a, a Christian and mm-hmm. live a Christian life, not drink, not smoke, not date and all of this stuff. And I tried to explain to her mom, you know, that she can't influence her daughter to do those things anymore. You know, that the time has passed where she could convince her daughter to stop, you know, not to drink, not to smoke and not to date boys. You know, because she was 17 years old and she's right, already right. flown the coop. She, she's out. She's gone. She's done. Right, right. 
you know, and uh, if you la- allowed her a little more leeway. And when I talked to the daughter, she, the daughter just could not stand to listen to her mom be disappointed in her anymore. That was basically it, you know. So she just basically left and uh, was staying with wow. friends. And uh, very, very interesting. I, I don't know what made... I don't know what made me think of that, but that was one of the adventures. I used to have a record store in San Francisco and I had a record store in LA and it was kind of like watching a movie, especially San Francisco. You'd open up the record store in the morning and it was kind of like watching a movie, just like the people Mm -hmm. that would come in who just the, just the collection of weird people would come in with strange stories and uh, uh, they would just come into the store and kind of become uh, part of your life sometimes. And it was just a weird collection of misfits because I ran a store that only had punk rock from about 1975 to 1985. So there were all these, it was just a collection of, of strange people that would come in all day looking for different things. Some of them weren't so strange. Some of them were. Some of them were very strange. I had uh, uh, people come in and tell me all kinds of weird stories. And some of them I believe, some of them I mm-hmm. found out that they were true. One person told me he was R. Crumb's brother. And I thought, that's a weird thing to lie about. And then I saw a movie that was a biography of R. Crumb's very dysfunctional family. And he was in it. There was the brother. And he lived in a hotel across the street from San Francisco. Very, very strange. It was a very, it was a very strange adventure running a store. I would run a store and eventually the tax people would come in and try to get me so I'd have wow. to quit. That's a That's lot, a to, lot have to, have to take. take. Yeah, well, you know, I was uh, making money, making enough to, you know, survive basically for myself. But, you know, certainly not getting rich, not going to buy a yacht, not going to buy a house. But, uh, Better than working at the gas station, right, right. I suppose. And, uh, you know, the the government would come in and just start insisting that I have this license and that license. And then I had to get a lawyer in order to try to get a license to sell used goods. And I was like, I don't have money to buy to get a lawyer to so that I can try to change the zoning laws so I can get a license to sell used goods on hollywood boulevard or on ninth and mission street which is where i was in san francisco but i was uh in a place in san francisco and i always lived in the back of my store i would just put my records in the front Mm -hmm. and live in the back and that's what i did you know that's that's where i lived in fact in san francisco i hired a plumber to put in a bathtub And that was that. In fact, I just had them do the drain. The uh, There was a sink back there. And it was a big sink. And it had hot and cold water. 
and I just had them. I put in, I bought the, uh, I said, how much would it cost to put in a bathtub? He says, well, I have one from a house that's used. You could probably put it in there. And I said, how much to hook up the drain? And so they hooked up the, he hooked up the drain, but not the water going in. I just took a rubber hose and I attached it over the, the, uh, uh, the sinks, like, you know, little faucet thing. And then we would just use that, and that was fine. Very, very cool. cool. It was fine. It's very bohemian. I'm a bit of a bohemian. Mm -hmm. I don't really care about a lot of no, creature comforts. I'm not. I'm not. I don't. I don't really care a whole bunch. That's probably, That's probably a good quality, quality to have. which is strange. Yeah, well, you know, I just found out that I'm still that way now. I didn't think I was, but I found out just recently how much little, how little I care about all of that kind of stuff. So you're still living no, in Philadelphia? I actually split my time between Philly, Philly Massachusetts, and, and, and Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. So, so keep mm. Well, I've never seen you. You should... Next time you're out here, you'll have to say hi, and we'll go around and uh, try to do some that. comedy. That would, that would be, be awesome. awesome. I've got uh, I've there's still a little network of shows going on, even though everything's supposed to be shut down right now in Los Angeles, and there are some people kind of running their businesses, and they shut the front, and people okay, come okay. in the back. You know, there are people just trying to survive. I don't know about this thing tonight. I don't know what's going on there. I spoke to the host last night. He said to come by. So I have to find out where that is. But it's a, you know, it's just a horrible the way everything's getting. The economy is being just destroyed now. I know. It's, I know. it's unthinkable. And then all of the people that are... Uh, I don't know what any of these people are going to do, like the mayor of Los Angeles and the governor of California. I do not know what they're going to do when they have millions right, of right. homeless people. More, more, Maybe they have a million now in California. What's going to happen when there's 10 million, when there's 5 right, million? Right. You know, we already have, I don't know how it is in Philadelphia, but 10 cities are, are sprouting everywhere all over Los Angeles and they're growing and the quicker they shut one down, the, the faster another larger one appears oh, somewhere else. And Skid Row downtown is expanding. Yeah, terrible. People that are trying to run, people that are trying to run businesses down there have huge encampments and uh, in front of their stores and then a little empty space where the door is to their business. Like, how can a business survive, no, you know, amongst can't. that? I used, I used to tell the people on Hollywood Boulevard that when opened up stores and little cafes and things like that, I would say, keep the homeless people out of here. If you don't, your place will be shut down right away because people right. won't want to come in. No one is going to want to come in. I remember when Starbucks would open up, basically every time it opened up in the morning on Hollywood Boulevard or near... Hollywood Boulevard, all these homeless people would basically move in. So they had to like eliminate a lot of the places to sit inside of the Starbucks and uh, 
the the uh, take out the uh, places to charge your phones and to mm-hmm, charge mm-hmm. your laptops, all the outlets, and basically make them less homeless people friendly. And it was just like, man, this is just this is very difficult to run a business right, like this. Right. It's like combat. You know, I did. I had to chase the homeless people out of my block at uh, when I was running a store in San Francisco and uh, all the other people on my the businesses on my block were happy I was there because they were getting a bunch of business because of my store. And they'd say, yes, but, you know, homeless people are shutting me down. And I would give them all of these tactics to get rid of homeless people. I would tell them uh to tell the uh homeless people when they brought in their belongings their big suitcases or other things like that that they couldn't have them in the store because that would be uh uh the insurance company won't allow it and they say well the insurance company doesn't know i say it doesn't matter just tell the homeless people that that's the rule it's not your fault you're not making the rule the insurance company won't insure you and then if they try to put it outside your store, tell them we can't do that either because, you know, that's an abandoned thing and people right, will think right, it's a bomb, right, right. you know. So just to, to hassle and you also can't have debris in front of my store right, for insurance right. either. And uh, just to tell the, you know, continually lie to the homeless people and also put up signs that say 15 minutes table. And they would say, well, tourists come in with their luggage sometimes. I said, well, don't tell them about the fake rule, the fake insurance rule. Tell them, you know, you don't bother them. And if they get people that come in that are regular customers and regular people, you can tell them that they can ignore the signs that say, you know, 10 minutes per table, 10 minutes stay on each table. And they all thanked me for it. And they all, it all made their business better because – I wanted those businesses to survive because I wanted my business to survive and I wanted people to uh, uh, be able to come to where my business is and also get something to eat and things like that and make it, you know, an interesting day for them and a more of a friendly uh, kind of a place for them to go. And I used to have a little, my doorway to my store in San Francisco went inward. It was a little, you know, it was like it would go in at an angle. So it was like three or four feet, you know, in the sidewalk. There's a little alcove there where the door was. And I actually had to put a sign up there that said, don't be here. I live here. And eventually I had to put a, uh, the, the mailman would put the mail, my mail through the mail slot in the morning. And then sometimes someone would pee and the pee would kind of flood into the store. Oh They'd God. pee on my door. So it would get on my mail. So I had to put one of these uh, guards on the bottom of the door, like a rubber guard. So that if someone did, it wouldn't uh, get into the store. And, and also put a sign, you know, do not be here. I live here. And some of them obeyed it and some of them didn't. 
but uh, I would get in arguments or confrontations with some of the homeless people that were like wanting to occupy my neighborhood. And uh, I won and they basically went away. But I had, uh, and I would also see a lot of drug dealing going on when I was there in my store. And I would see people that were obviously police officers selling drugs to people like undercover cops. Like I could spot them as an undercover cop. I don't know how the person selling dope couldn't spot them as a, or buying dope couldn't spot them as an undercover cop. And I could see the cops busting people in on my well, street well. in San Francisco as well. There was a, quite a, quite an interesting yeah, yeah, neighborhood believe, down believe there. It. How's your neighborhood um, um, over there? Where do you live? Well, well Philly, Philly is great. great. Usually, Usually I'm in South, South Jersey when I'm in Philadelphia. And I'm, and up, I'm up, up in the valley, valley in LA. In LA. So, so that works, that works really, well. really well. Do you? Do you? I like the valley. I'm, attra- I'm attracted to the valley. I dwell in the valley now. I used to be in Hollywood. I kind of moved over to the valley. And uh, I like it. It's uh, less combative. Hollywood is just getting to be, every street is just getting to be 10 cities. Uh, And new apartment buildings and 10 cities. It's just, I lived on Hollywood Boulevard forever. I have pieces about it that that I used to do, comedy pieces, performance art pieces I used to do about Hollywood Boulevard. Oh called God, the Freaks of Hollywood Boulevard, and uh, you can see it on uh, YouTube. And it's just—I don't know—it's—it's it's just becoming more and more combative, you know. Just—I uh, remember one day when I was living over there on Cherokee Avenue, there was a naked man, and. Uh, so I went and I gave him some clothes. There was some clothes that people had left out on the sidewalk in a little bag, which is what people did when they would move. They would get tired of their clothes. They would put them out on Hollywood, on, you know, in that area of Hollywood, just in like a bag and just a paper bag. And there were some clothes in there. So I picked up the clothes and I walked over to the naked man who was talking to himself and gave him the clothes. He accepted the clothes from me. But uh, I saw him a little couple hours later on the way back. Evidently, he did accept uh-huh. the clothes from me, but he didn't put them on. Oh, no, still no, riding, no. riding around crazy. naked. And there was just so many people. There was a man on Hollywood Boulevard who used to be, uh, he didn't have any hands. He was a homeless oh, wow. man with no hands. And when I saw that, that was just too much for me. I had to just sit down. Usually I didn't give any of those people money, but I gave him money. And I was like, hmm, man, that's really, really rough, man. That's just too much. What a nightmare, you know, to not have any. I couldn't think of anything worse than that except being blind maybe. But uh, I gave him $5 and he took his two stumps that he had for wrists and grabbed it from me and somehow was able to stick it into his pocket. I gave him $5. I used to just give him $5 every time I saw him. 
And then once I saw him from once I spoke to the police about him and they told me that he uh, had blown off his hands making a bomb trying to blow somebody up that he didn't like. So I used to do this routine about him called the Mad Bomber of Hollywood Boulevard. I felt a little sorry for him at that point. But, you know, that's a big price to pay for uh, a mistake, you know? It's just a huge price to pay. And the police used used to cause trouble. And the police would arrest him sometime or try to arrest him and talking to him. And they would try to put him in handcuffs. But the handcuffs would just fall off of his hands because <laughs> they were there. They used to actually try to put handcuffs on him, right, and right, of course, uh, of but they wouldn't stay on. They would just fall off. It was very, very comical. You know, they would try to put them on kind of tight so that they could to, to hold his hands behind his back or his stumps, I suppose. But it didn't work. You know, it's just like, man, it was just a horrible. And that's like Hollywood Boulevard, you know, it's like the the wreckage of people, you know, there's so much wreckage of of people now. The valley isn't as bad. The valley's a lot more spread out. There are areas of the valley like that. Then you see the homeless encampments uh encroaching here and there, but uh it's not as prevalent as as Hollywood is. Hollywood. I miss Hollywood. Oh, a little oh bit. my God. Well, look, well, look, I, I, I know we're I know getting, getting close, close, close right now. I miss it a little bit. Where, where, where can we watch, watch you? you? Where can we where see, can we more, see about more about you? Well, you can see me. You can, you can see me and okay, see my okay. podcast. I post links to it on my Twitter, on my Instagram, on my Facebook, and everything is at Mark Selzer, M-A-R-K-S-E-L-Z-E-R. So it's... Uh, Instagram slash Mark Selzer, Twitter slash Mark Selzer, and Facebook, Mr. Dot Mark Selzer, or just search for Mark Selzer. You'll find me. If I still have room on my Facebook, I'll probably accept you. If I don't, then uh, join my fan page. And you'll be able to see my podcasts there and where I'm performing. And if when I release, uh, different uh, comedy performances and and other things I may release and put out. You'll be able to see them all That's there. That's awesome. So I would say follow me there. And if you like what I'm doing, please share this podcast and hit like and subscribe and share it on your social media. And then also, if you like what I'm doing and want to support me financially, uh, go ahead. Awesome, you can awesome. buy T-shirts that I make. And there's links to those everywhere. And then you can also uh, PayPal me at uh, M-A-R-K-S-E-L-Z-E-R at sbcglobal.net. Awesome. If you want to uh, support the show. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you for having me. Really, really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me uh, having me on your show and, <laughs> I, I, and coming on my show. Let me know when you start your I would, podcast I and that. I'll come uh, and be thank, on yours. Thank you so much, so much Mark. Mark. It's, been, it's great. been great. Sure. Thank you. Great talking to you. Absolutely. And I'll Absolutely. see you next time you're around LA. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
Boom.